His Tennessee Titans stock, and fellas, been a quiet week for the Tennessee Titans since we've last been with you. In our last episode, we discussed our free agent signings, the big ones, Bud Dupree, up to Janoris Jenkins uh, about an hour before we recorded that show. So we've had the signing of Josh Reynolds and a few, we think, important role player re-signings. Big news, guys, this big trade yesterday in the NFL, uh, essentially a three-team trade. Big, big news. The Miami Dolphins, we knew they were going to kind of control the 2021 drafts. This isn't usual, but we're going to talk about the league first, and then we're going to get into uh, catch you up with uh, everything Titans related. Tell us what happened yesterday. So the first trade was the 49ers trade up to three for the 12th pick this year, a 2022 and 2023 first rounder, and the 2023 compensatory third round pick for losing Robert Sala under the new Rooney rules. Then the second trade, the Dolphins trade number 12, their fourth rounder this year, number 123, their first rounder next year. So in 2022, they'll have the Niners first rounder, but not their own for the sixth pick. All in all, the 49ers traded up to number three, gave up all of their future assets for a quarterback of the future. The Eagles traded down six spots to number 12 for a future first. And the Dolphins traded back three spots and got a third rounder and a future first. It seems like, you know, everybody's made the point, well, they moved down three slots and added a third rounder and a first rounder. But the first trade, John, I love for Miami. The second trade... What they gave the Eagles to go back up to six, it's like kind of like when the Titans traded back to all the way back to 15 from the first pick and then up to eight. They gave a lot of that great value they got. Miami Dolphins do the same thing here. But after you think about it, they have a guy that they want and they know or feel certain is going to be there. I'm going to guess it's Pitts or, or one of the receivers. That's my first point. They have a guy in mind. I mean, we're weeks from picking, but I think it's all kind of falling out of who everybody knows who's picking what, at least by position. And my second thing is clearly, guys, clearly the 49ers. And I just love that, you know, like Shanahan is such a genius where we see him and like McVay, they get to go out, guys. They have the authority to get their guy at quarterback. The Niners, to me, obviously, they like two quarterbacks because they have to because there's two picks in front of them. It's kind of like when the Eagles uh, traded up a few years ago, we knew that they liked golf or Wentz. I think we kind of get a little insight into what's going on. I'm curious to see which quarterback they like. I'm very curious about that. The other thing that really the Eagles' ability to move cements to me the fact that they are, uh, you know, there was a lot of chatter about them not sticking with Jalen Hurts. But I think this kind of at least says, okay, we're, we're, we're going to roll the dice with them this year and see what plays out. You know, they signed Joe Flacco. So I think they've kind of showed their hand. They said, we're not going to draft a quarterback. So I think it's it's very, very curious. Landon, what the Eagles like, there's enough of that they know at least one of those guys or positions, namely probably receiver, is going to be there at 12. And they, they made that because they know with their cap situation, they just need more cheap bodies, right? Yeah, and they just have so many needs from just the Super Bowl roster deteriorating, cuts, trades, to where at six it was pretty much you're taking one of the big three wide receivers, or Kyle Pitts, but it's the tight end at six. It's too early for any of the cornerbacks, which is a desperate need for them. A pass rusher, an offensive lineman. So at six, they were really pigeonholed into either making a massive reach, losing a lot of draft value, or passing up bigger needs for good talent. And this way is the best of both worlds. There's an outside chance that one of the big three receivers is still there at 12. 
and now they're in the range where if they want to take a defensive player or an offensive lineman, it's entirely in the right, and they're not giving up the opportunity cost of a better player. Yeah, I think they have reasoned with themselves at 12. Slater is going to be there for the offensive line. He'd be a perfect fit for them, or even Devonta Smith, just because of his size, could drop. I think that they are okay with either one of those, and they're taking more picks. But Miami's in love with somebody, clearly, still at six, and they they have reasoned and gone through, and they know that I think um, it's quite possible uh, the first position player is going to be at five, and it's likely to be uh, Sewell, the uh, huge offensive lineman uh, from Oregon, and they're going to have their pick amongst those guys. So I'm sure they feel very happy with themselves. It's really more of an indictment on the Texans and that stupid Laramie Tunsil trade, but they panicked. Um, but let's go back to the quarterbacks. I know, John, you're really fascinated with the with kind of the value of these guys. There's one of these guys I know you don't like. There's one guy I don't like. Everybody's saying, oh, there might be the first five or six picks taken. I, I think it's clear that Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco like either Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Yeah, I, Trey Lance is the guy I really can't get a beat on. I mean – I know Zach Wilson has also drawn rave reviews from his pro day and, you know, from his style of play, but these guys are not massive programs. And we've seen these kind of small school guys not really pan out, especially those with limited experience. Trey Lance is the guy I have a million question marks on. And I don't, you know, I mean, I get that in today's day and age, you're drafting a quarterback in the first round. Even if he's a scratch off ticket, because you get that fifth year option, but I can't see. Well, Trey you don't Lance. give up the next three first uh, first round picks, including this year, for a scratch off ticket. So you're right. Oh, right. It's a yeah. guy they feel dead set on, and it'd be hard to imagine that it's a guy that didn't play last year and plays what we know as one double A. But Landon, on the other side of that, people love Trey Lance, and I think it's fifty fifty in my mind whether it's Lance or Fields. I really do because I think Zach Wilson is heading to New York. Wilson to New York seems to be either the worst kept secret in the NFL or it's some just weird media buzz where we don't actually know what front offices are thinking, but every mock draft, everyone says it's Wilson at two. I personally have Wilson at QB three. I have Trey Lance at QB two. And I would agree. I think Lance is the best fit for the Niners, just outside of Trevor Lawrence, talent, play style, the offense he's going into, Trey Lance fits the Niners almost perfectly. But he's raw. He needs to sit at least half a season, probably a full season, like you said. Didn't play last year. He only attempted 23 passes in the game, which is nothing. Only two times in his career. He's an elite runner. He just has a lot of just adjustments and things he has to build upon. And to me, you don't trade your entire draft future. When you are when you trade three first-rounders to draft a quarterback, you're going into win-down mode. You don't want to do it on a project that could bust and flame out. To me, I think Justin Fields is the most likely pick here. Right. I think Trey Lance is better, but the Niners and what they gave up and what their immediate future looks like, Trey Lance is just too risky. Well, Justin Fields is tough and he's heady and he's, an, I think, a known quantity. So I could see Shanahan has so much faith in his abilities for good reason that I think he wants a durable guy that understands the game is tough. Justin Fields makes. A lot of sense, uh, but I think Shanahan's also a guy. He kind of likes what he likes. going to be really interesting to see. Got to be one of those two guys because I think Wilson is kind of assumed that he's going to be in New York. But because you never know, I think that they have to like both guys. I mean, they really do. Or they have to say, well, they would take Wilson anyways because here we are a few weeks away. I think it's at this point where it's kind of shaking out where they, like I said, because for Miami to have the confidence right now to trade back up to six, why wouldn't they do that on draft night? I think they know 
you know, because it's obvious who the Bengals are going to pick, right? I mean, it just seems obvious. They need offensive line help. We know where they're going. The top three teams now are quarterback needy teams. Guys, it just gets me excited because it's coming around. Uh, we're heading almost, you know, about a month away. I am. And an interesting point about these trades that has really been brought up so far is the Falcons are having a great time right now sitting at pick four because with the Dolphins out of the picture, they're guaranteed any of the non-quarterback prospects. At the same time, if they think one elite prospect isn't what they need, they need more picks, more depth. They need to rebuild around Matt Ryan. They can trade back because it's obvious that the NFL is really high on this class of QBs. The Q- the QB4 is going to be there, and, and Denver, Carolina, New England, all of them have quarterback needs. All of them could trade up for the QB4 in this draft. And that could start a bidding war because yeah. Atlanta at four, really the best player available is an offensive tackle. They've drafted three first-round offensive linemen recently or a receiver when they have two elite yeah, receivers. They don't need a receiver. Speed. Yeah, and it, w- it would be fun in a way to see DeMar Chase or Devontae Smith, Calvin Ridley, and Julio Jones just putting up video game numbers. But the defense is awful. They need to shore up several holes. So I just think there's going to end up being a bidding war for number four. And on draft night, we'll see four quarterbacks go in a row. I think that's a it's great that you point that out because, John, he's right. Miami was the focal point. They held the cards in this draft. Now it's Atlanta at four. We're going to find out if somebody really does like Trey Lance, if it's not already San Francisco because he's going to be there at four. You think that maybe he won't even go in the first round. We've seen that happen. Guys get hyped, and there are reasons for that. But we'll find out because I think Atlanta could trade down to uh, Carolina or even with Denver and still get the top defensive player in this draft or, you know, the second uh, defensive player off the board. So that's – they need to add back picks. They're looking to do that or they'll have – be able to cherry pick um, the guy they want. They're not going to go quarterback, I think, because they have adjusted Matt Ryan's contract in the way that it would be really more difficult for them down the road. So you can kind of read the tea leaves there. They're going to run with Matt Ryan. That's what I would do. Well, you mentioned Trey Lance, and it's uh, so interesting. There's so many smoke screens this time of year. And every year there's a guy, especially a guy from like a, like a blue-blooded program as a quarterback, and, oh, he's a game manager, but he can be more, and people love him, and then he goes in the third round or something. Guys, this year I think it's Mac Jones. I know uh, that guy for you this year, John, is Trey Lance. For me, Mac Jones started one year. He doesn't have the physical tools. I mean, he could be good, but you're not going to draft a game manager really in the first round. The way that happens is, like, if I were the general manager of a team tipping, picking in the top 15 and um, one of these dummies from ESPN or CBS or whatever called me, I'd say, oh, Mac Jones, love him. Just praise there, right? And that's why you see him mocked to, like, New England, because I'm sure Belichick lies to people and tells them that all the time. And yeah, Because think about it. It turns into one of these dummy teams picking a guy like this. I think that's how Haskins went 14th. Uh, in Nashville two years ago, because I think they're stupid enough to buy it. But I don't think, and we saw, he's going to go number five, he's going to go number four, blah, 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 blah. He never went, and I think he would have continued to slide because he started 14 games. Well, and I think the thing that always hurts, I think, any Alabama quarterback is that they played Alabama. Right. They they have a a gazillion, you know, top-rated prospects. And, uh, you know, I mean, just with the, the roster they had this year, you know, with Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, like anybody could look yeah. incredible. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's just, just not going to happen. No, and I mean, outside of 
you know, I mean, Jalen Hurts and Tua, I mean, we haven't really seen Alabama quarterbacks do anything. I mean, A.J. McCarron was the starter for multiple years, and he's a permanent backup. Yeah, I mean, and Mac Jones yeah. is a good player, and he was really good for them this year. But sure. back to my point, he wasn't a five-star guy. That doesn't really matter, but he doesn't have a side. I mean, so he's, he didn't start 40 games like Dak Prescott. And like you said, he just had to manage a game. Like, he might be good, but there's no way to know. There's no – like, there's no one thing, right, Landon, that would say you pick a guy like that. He has – doesn't have that – I mean, even if he had, like, stuck around next year. Jones is really interesting to me. I've watched him a bit more recently, and – you and I, we watched him a couple months ago. We were down on him. Watching him recently, he's actually my QB4 ahead of Justin Fields. And ESPN recently put out some advanced analytics about on-target throw percentage, completion percentage over expected, QBR versus blitz and pressure, so on and so forth. Mac Jones was actually the top guy in this whole quarterback class in nearly every metric. He was top four in all of them. He led in over half. And to me, it's just a weird thing where Yes, he's better than Justin Fields. Justin Fields clearly has a higher ceiling. I think Mac Jones is more talent dependent on the guys around him than anyone else in the top five quarterbacks. So to me, it's it's a, this weird dichotomy where on on talent, he's good. But I don't want to draft him in the top ten. I want, like you said, New England, Chicago, Washington, a team that has some foundational pieces, some surrounding talent, where he has to be accurate, get the play, get his playmakers the ball, don't make mistakes. You can't carry a franchise. He can't single-handedly help change an offense to go from bad to good. But he can make an average team pretty good. And that, to me, for it's for a team like Chicago or Washington, that's a playoff caliber team. They just need that little bit of juice at quarterback. Mac Jones is just the perfect fit. All right, we'll see because, you know, the analytics is also dependent on things around him. And he doesn't see as much pressure. And pressure is different per play. And so... Yeah, I don't want to be too hard on him, but uh, I just, um, you know, you're not alone, and you're a smart guy, and you've been a right maybe a little bit more than me and John have on these guys. You know, a lot of guys like him, but at the end of the day, I just have a lot of questions because I want to see that one skill. Trey Lance, yeah, there's a lot of questions about him, but he's got the size, he's got the desire, he's got, you know, so many things check out. So it's going to be interesting. We love this. We're not picking a quarterback. We're not picking early, but it's still, it's just so interesting. Let's talk about our team. Let's talk about the Titans. Josh Reynolds, we needed a number two guy. Josh Reynolds was the number four guy for the Rams uh, the last two seasons. He's a good player. I remember him at Texas A&M. He's a good receiver there. This guy comes loose, really, because the, just a numbers thing for them. I think he's going to plug in. A lot of people uh, in sports radio, our sports radio locally, is really bad, especially lately. He's not a replacement for Corey Davis. They're different types of players, but he is kind of a really good fit for what we need. Right, John? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we need that quick guy, the burner, and that's what I look at him as. He's not really a number two, um, but he has to be our number two, and uh, well, unless if we draft him. Oh, he could be number two. He's just yeah. not going to be like a human, you know, 10-foot right. radius guy <laughs> well, like Davis. I mean, and, uh, he's got a lot. I mean, just watch that uh, LA games. People know Reynolds from, you know, being a streaming play on fantasy football. Yeah. He's So that's how we know him, and the guy is good. I mean, for the opportunity that he had, he is smart for the money for us, and he came here because – he wants to get the receptions that a number two guy gets, and he's going to get yeah. it. And, yeah, he will. And the thing that you, I like with what you talked about, about him not replacing Corey Davis, because let's just call a spade a spade. He is not a blocking receiver. So I think that's something that we're going to either have to scheme around or kind of keep Perkser and Swain in double tight end sets and let these guys kind of fly on the edge. 
but he's not the blocking receiver. But I, I will be curious to see what kind of volume we can get him, you know, make him earn it. And I think he, he could probably surprise a lot of people who aren't as familiar with him. Well said. And I'm excited because, you know, not, I guess not everybody plays fantasy football to the level we do. we got like five teams going and doing all this stuff. But, yeah, Reynolds is a good get for us. Uh, those are the kind of guys that come. They want to play on a good team. They want to get an opportunity. Landon told us we're going to see a lot of one-year deals, show-me contracts. This is a show-me because he can be a free agent again next year, and I hope he gets all that money because that means he's going to be a really good player. That said, our receiver core is undoubtedly going to be aided by a draft pick. The last couple of seasons we've seen, I think it's because college football has opened up so much, and I think a lot of these guys that used to play baseball or used to play basketball, I think they're receivers now. We've just, because it's so fun to play in the spread in college football, that is finally caught up, and that's why it used to not be that way. We've seen guys get drafted. We saw one two years ago. A.J. Brown is, I would say, a you know a top 10 receiver in this league, and he is uh, you know barely old enough to drink. I mean, he's a really young guy and really good, physically good to go immediately. You know, two years ago, he was the fourth receiver off the board at pick 51. Last year, 11 guys went to the same pick. We're picking, I think, 53rd this year. So I think in the first two picks, I mean, you never know because our front office doesn't always pick on need right away. But it just stands the reason that our third receiver, at least, is definitely going to be picked next month in the draft. So it's going to be interesting. I think they'll pick a person that kind of fits with Reynolds uh, and, of course, with A.J. Brown. So I think with Reynolds, it's like we don't know the whole picture yet. Yeah, and to add on to Reynolds, he's cheap and he's reliable. He's a guy who does a lot of the work in the intermediate on the outside. That opens up A.J. Brown to where he can do more deep shots like he did in his rookie year, which we didn't see that often in 2020. He's dependable. You throw him the ball, and he's relatively open. He's going to catch it. And he lets A.J. Brown do more of what A.J. Brown does. And it's just a stopgap. Good teams rely on stopgaps when they have to draft young talent to fill long-term holes. I'm just looking at this mock drafting Sometimes it's so awful. Oh, it's so bad. That's why I want Landon uh, to do that for a living yeah. because it's just a joke. Yeah, I mean, like, and every year it's a joke, and they never get better. No, never. And I mean, even I'll, stupid the guy that um, the young guy on ESPN that uh, opposite of uh, Mel Kiper. I mean, he's an idiot. He obviously doesn't. All all those guys are from like Alabama and Ohio State. So Landon, in the vein of knowing that we have a contributor that's going to be drafted in the receiving core. To get started on looking at who might join us, who's out there, the caliber of player at each round, we'll start with the first round. Let's say John Robinson says, because I feel like John Robinson is like a lot of scouts and a lot of uh, personnel. He's good at certain things, and then other positions, maybe uh, there's an opportunity there. He has credibility with us after A.J. Brown, right? So what if he goes in, 22, picks a receiver? We have seen, like we mentioned earlier, guys are ready they're more ready than they've ever been to play receiver in this league straight out of college. And um, I think it's going to eventually undermine the value of free agent receivers because it's kind of like safety and running back. Like, Hey, we can draft a guy. I mean, that's how good it's been lately with this class. And if we go receiver at 22, uh, Landon, give us a name or two of somebody that, that we might uh, expect in two-tone blue. Well, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and Jamar Chase will not be there. So let's not even get our hopes up. Rashad Bateman is generally seen as the wide receiver four and locks in on big boards. I personally don't see it. He, he's decent all around, I'd say. He's 6'1-ish, 6'2", good frame, good hands. I would say a great route runner, but his speed, 
he ran in the mid four fours at his pro day, but I didn't see it on tape and he had a pretty bad 2020 after a great 2019. For Elijah Moore, another Ole Miss superstar receiver, on a per-game basis, he matched Devontae Smith in yards and catches per game but lagged behind in touchdowns because Ole Miss only played eight games. It'd be a bit early at 22 for Elijah Moore compared to the consensus, but he's my wide receiver four. He's an elite slot receiver right out the gate. Great speed. He ran the mid-four threes. Great agility and burst scores. Bateman and Elijah Moore are probably the two most realistic options. Kadarius Toney gets some love, but to me, he's just a worse Elijah Moore. A guy who, great with the ball in his hands, but he's not nearly as refined. Tony is the guy from Florida. Yeah, Tony is the guy where he has a great highlight mixtape, great moves, great run after the catch ability, but he's almost entirely at the line of scrimmage, quick hitters, really raw as a route runner. And like Elijah Moore, neither of them really offer any verticality at the point of catch. I like Bateman from Minnesota more than you. Uh, to me, he's a tiny bit shorter uh, Corey Davis. He's a, he's a high-character guy. He's a reliable guy. Uh, I'm okay with a 4-4 speed. He's got a lot of tools. Uh, he seems more like a fit for the Titans. Elijah Moore is could be a home run. I mean, he he's electric. 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns in eight games last year against SEC competition. I really like him. He's 5-8, and I feel like J-Rob is an old-school guy. So, on one hand, a 5'8 guy, 22nd overall, you just don't see it a lot. He would be an ideal fit, especially when you look at Reynolds and A.J. Brown. This is the guy, Elijah Moore, that listeners will remember the Egg Bowl game in 2019 where he scores a touchdown, his time is expiring, and does the, like, dog peeing, right? Like a really inappropriate thing. And they push back because of unsportsmanlike conduct, the extra point, 15 yards, the kid misses it. They lose 21-20. So, I, honestly, weirdly, I admire that kid for coming back to school, staying with it. That must have been tough. And I think that shows some character, right? Let's take the best player available at 22 like we did with Simmons. And let's see who the best guy is because there have been a lot of really good receivers picked in the second round. One that I wear a jersey of on Sundays. Uh, so, Landon, if we if we go receiver at 53, who's a guy or two that might be around there that would be a good fit for us? Rondell Moore out of Purdue, who is the best thing to come out of Purdue football since Drew Brees. Outside of Trey Lance, I'd say he's the riskiest player in the draft because his, fr- his true freshman year, 2018, all-time great season. Yeah, when they beat catches. Ohio State. Yeah, 114 catches, 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns. 114 catches. Single-handedly beats Ohio State. Then he plays seven of a potential 18 games over the next two years due to a variety of injuries. And he measures in at 5'7", Nathan. And I know you say 5'8 is worrying. 5'7 is even worse. He's an elite weight room athlete, elite all-around athlete. He's a more explosive but much less durable and refined Elijah Moore. He's incredibly elite with the ball in his hands. He mainly does short stuff, quick hitters, where he gets the ball. And despite being 5'7", he's 190 pounds and he powers two guys. But just the durability, missed over two-thirds of his possible games down the stretch. Just a tiny body. Guys his size that aren't elite burners. Guys his size that aren't elite burners just don't work out in the NFL. And while Rondam Moore did test with sub 4-4 speed, he doesn't play it. That's not his play style. So to me, Rondam Moore, really interesting, but just incredibly high risk. And then there's Terrence Marshall out of LSU, the third wheel for LSU's superstar trio in 2019. Elite high point contested catchability. His motor comes and goes. 
this past year with LSU was pretty much an afterthought, especially when you go undefeated and win a championship. But he's great with the ball in the air, and he gives us a big physical X receiver opposite A.J. Brown that we can just throw the ball up to. Rondo Moore, I mean, he's so fun to watch, and those guys can find a place in the NFL, John. But 5'7", 190, I mean, you, you, you'll have a bigger dinner tonight. I mean, that's not that big. And the reliability. Darren Sproles worked because he was reliable, although he was so tiny. It's amazing that a guy that small can take that beating. We saw uh, Adam Humphreys, as tough as he is, he caught up with him this year because, I mean, it's different to be that size and be out there. And if he has trouble get, staying on the field in the Big Ten, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't even think he'll go in, in the first 60 picks. Yeah, I mean, t- small guys are really tough. A receiver I like, and I think AJB has been making a lot of push for, is a similar prospect in Elijah Moore. Small, 5'9", tiny dude. Well, I think he has stayed healthy, and I, and I think the thing about Elijah Moore, I think a lot of Titans fans are going to circle him. You know, I text Landon this week, I mean, can we just pray for him at 53? Landon says no, even though he's 5'8", because 1,200 yards in eight games, the guy is, is really good, but I don't like him at 22. You know, ideally, and everybody says this, oh, trade back or whatever. Yeah, ideally, we pick him at 40, or we get him at 38, and we trade back him. But, I mean, that's easier said than done. I think everybody on this podcast probably listening would be thrilled. Um, but, you know, if we had done something like that, we'd have missed that uh, a few years ago. We'd have missed out on Jeffrey Simmons. So it's going to be interesting because this is going to be a volatile year because there's so little known about a lot of these guys. I mean, some of them didn't play a full year. I mean, when Ole Miss is playing eight games, I mean, you know, there's just – we'll have to lean on our front office. And I know that their credibility is down with some people because of the fiasco of the first round last year. Well, we're just going to have to lean in and know that these guys can do their job and, uh, and can and will do their job. Because, yeah, Isaiah Wilson was an absolute flop. A.J. Brown is the best second-round pick in the history of the Titans franchise in 20-plus you know, years. So you've got to take the good with the bad. There is a philosophy there, and they're, they're going to hit, and they're going to miss. Third round, let's say we don't go for a second round. Let's say they really feel good about a guy. They did this at guard. We know two years ago it was like, we know we're picking a guard, right? We might pick a guard. We didn't pick a guard until the third round, and we got a, a guy in a place that a lot of people had not heard of as NFL fans. But, Landon, I know you know. Is there a third-round guy they might wait on? There's Deami Brown out of UNC, probably the best pure deep threat in this draft class. All he does is run deep stuff. I would say he has low 4-4 speed, elite at stretching the field, but that's really all he does. He's a one-trick pony. He, all of his routes are 15-plus yards down the field. His average depth of target over the past two years is 18, which is just mind-boggling for any receiver. He would be a hyper-specific role where he comes in, he's he's there to stretch the defense. He's running 15, 20, 30-yard routes down the field to stretch the defense for Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill to occasionally throw the ball to. Then there's Amari Rodgers out of Clemson, another short guy but really built, really a slot receiver. Great with the ball in his hands, great accelerations, tough but just doesn't really have the overall upside to be drafted that early. And then Nico Collins from Michigan probably is going to have the worst production of any of the guys drafted early, just because Michigan has been, especially at quarterback, just so sloppy recently. But he tested he's going to have elite size, elite vertical ability, and he's just an athletic scratch-off ticket that the NFL is a lot higher on than his production would suggest. We've seen Michigan be like Tennessee five years ago. Heck, Tennessee now where these guys, they don't really do that well. They had good billing coming out of high school. They didn't do well, and then they make turn out to be good pros. 
It's because for whatever reason, especially offensively, they're just not developing. I mean, uh, we saw Peoples for Cleveland last year be a really good player. And he went in the sixth round. So, yeah, the, the Michigan guy is, is interesting for me because I think there's some undeveloped talent there. So you find value with those guys. You know, the mock draft, we were talking about this pre-show. The mock draft stuff now is so bad, and it's worse than I can ever remember. John, you brought this up, and I, I read this like I'll read ESPN. I mean, I like Mel Kiper. I always will. He does his homework. Yes, he doesn't get everything, but I and I'm excluding Mel Kiper because I just, you know, he was the only guy. I mean, I I watched the 1993 NFL draft in basically its entirety on a Saturday afternoon. I was 12 years old, and my parents I think wanted to get me tested or something after that. Like they didn't understand what was happening. I like this stuff. I like analytics. I mean, I'm going to count it. So I'm going to exclude Kuiper here. But um, his counterpart and then a lot of these other guys that ostensibly do this for a living, they'll put down the stuff. They're so out of touch. They only do the blue-blooded guys. And I just feel like the product should be better. I mean, what else do they have to do? I bring this up for, you know, Landon and then Big Fella, you're going to give us some too. Uh, You guys, I I mean, our fans want to know. We're searching these sites and these mock graphs and we're not getting any more information. So, those are six guys for you listening that, you know, could be Titans. And if they're not Titans, you at least kind of know the caliber of guy we're going to get in one of these first three rounds. So, Landon, thanks for just you're a full-time student and got other things going, but just kind of knowing what you're talking about, I think twice as much as the guys that I guess do this for a living. Big fella, we're going to go receiver and we're going to go cornerback, I hope, in the first two days because those are their obvious holes there. And, yeah, our front office is not going to just like do a knee pick and and all that they just don't have the mo for that and i'm glad but we are going to see a guy there you just look at our depth chart right now at receiver and cornerback and it's like well some there's something we don't know yet what do you think of i know you've done some research here what do you think of the cornerback class a guy or two in the first round that if we go and i think we very well could if we go corner at 22 like who will you be rooting for well, I, I was doing some research. I was watching tape of J.C. Horn today, and I think arguably his best game was against Auburn. He made a whole bunch of plays that game. There were a couple he got beat, but, I mean, one thing about this kid is that he gets physical, and he may not have a billion picks, but his ability to break up a pass is amazing. Pretty much every single receiver in Auburn finger-rolling the, the ball as it came through at the last very, last possible second, and, you know, he still can make those big explosive picks. So I think he's a guy, depending on which mock draft you look at, he may be a reach, he may not. I don't think he'd be a reach at all. Uh, he's got the pedigree. Of course, his father is Joe Horn. But like you're saying, he's got that moxie. Like, he's got Malcolm Butler's attitude. He's got a better body. Like, if Malcolm Butler were in you know, just an average NFL cornerback, well, he'd be way better. I mean, like, some of it's in, in between the years for corner because who would choose that position? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. I mean, with the with the guys, the receivers that are, you know, coming out of, out into the league right now, no no thanks. And yeah. how fast you need oh, to be, forget it. And backpedaling, oh, my God. Yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> I could bury back. You gotta be, and you see the greats are certain types of dudes, right? And usually they are kind of G's, man. They're just kind of tough, right? I mean, like I I look at um, one of my favorite recent players that was drafted was Tre'Davious White, and I think he's great example. um, Yeah, I think he's just got it all, and he just can do everything pretty much. He's physical. He he can get picks. He, He he's great in man zone. Everything he can just do everything, and I'm hopeful that J.C. Horn is that kind of corner. And I would love for us to take him at 22. 
if we so we take JC Horn at 22, I will sleep very well on night one. Yeah, I mean, except for my snoring. You guys are about to plug my nose, but you know, <laughs> as far as as far as content, I will be content um, because yeah. we will have addressed you know position of need, and we'll have taken one of the best players off the board. I think for for corners, you know, there are some other good guys too. Like you know, I think Caleb Farley is probably maybe the best cornerback in the draft, but yeah, he's I think he'll come be off going the board. Right? He's the guy it, from Virginia Tech. Oh, yeah. Right. It, yeah. A lot of I've seen a couple of drafts have have him going. As high as eleven cornerbacks in today's game, you can never have enough of them. Well, I mean, we've seen that in recent history. Guys get picked pretty early and pretty often at corner. We've seen some reaches because it's pretty important, and the skill set is pretty scarce. I mean, like in all seriousness, these kids don't line up to do that. They do other stuff or other sports. I mean, you got to be a certain kind of guy to play that position. So much rejection, so much, you know, whatever. And you just got to be. But to me, honestly, even if I didn't watch tape of them or I didn't. No, you know, we played at South Carolina, which is tough in itself. If it's like, oh, Joe Horn's kid is an SEC cornerback, I was like, let's pick him because Joe Horn is just like a tough dude. And it's like, that's what it takes. Landon, what do you what do you think of uh, J.C. Horn? Well, just going back to Caleb Farley, there is now an outside chance that he falls to us. He recently had a minor invasive back surgery, and that Ooh. alone isn't bad, but he had another one in 2019, I believe, as well as a major leg injury in 2018. So he's also a converted cornerback from receiver, so he's new to the position, and he can't stay healthy. He's going to be healthy in time for training camp, and he's expected to make a full recovery. But these kinds of medical issues do push prospects down the board. Oh, yeah, no doubt. We haven't taken a lot of those guys. The guys that have been injured that we've taken, there's been a pretty certain like recovery period and all that, and it's kind of been a like a like an injury that they would recover from, like Corey Davis's and Jeffrey Simmons, and these are guys that – have not had issues. I think we'll stay away from that. I hope he recovers and he's a good player. But I, I'll, I'll say, if we look at him at 22, knowing that, I mean, I'd be a little a little nervous unless, you know, we have a great team of doctors. We really do. Better than average, I think. And if they felt good with it, maybe. But, boy, that's scary. And going back to J.C. Horn with this Farley news and how well Horn tested, he yeah, tested above 95th percentile in almost every single category. Oh, he's in play for cornerback one, so now his floor is – the Cardinals at 16. He's likely to go higher. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They'll be replacing Peterson. And, you know, think about it. Two years ago, we saw guys like Arnett and guys that I didn't really know that much about going like 16th and 17th. I mean, that tells you all I need to know is corners that are good are hard to come by and they're expensive. So if you feel like a guy that's got the talent and he's a fit and you're after, you know, between 15 and 25, you're just going to take your guy. If we pick a corner at 53, is there a guy in the second round range that you think would look good in our colors? There are two I kind of like. I haven't done enough scouting on them yet. So I'm going to give you my my preferred one right here. And I know you guys are going to eat my lunch because he's small. Elijah Molden out of Washington. What? I um, love Elijah Molden. <laughs> well, he's tiny. He's 5'10", 190 pounds. Oh, I'm um, fine with a small corner, especially, yeah. you know, at 53. I'm fine with it. Yeah, but the, from the minimal work I've done on him so far, he plays, he plays like the honey badger. And I think he would be a great fit on our defense. He kind of would take that physicality role from a corner. He's played for a while. He, he's like a unicorn as a senior being, you know, um, entering the draft. So small, but I, I think he really be physical and eventually grow into that leader on defense. So I really like him. The other one that, that might be in the se- in the second round, I can't even say his first name, but Melifonu Afide uh, out of Syracuse. Oh, yeah, Obi's brother. Yep. 
Yeah, he's, he's gotten he, a lot of buzz recently for his and he's a bigger, casting. And he's a bigger dude, too. He's 6'3", 215 pounds. So I also think we can take a bigger corner like that and, you know, pair him with Christian Fulton and have some pretty locked... There's so much pressure on Fulton this year, and it's kind of scary, and it makes you think that they're going to look... I think Janoris Jenkins was just kind of a must-have because at least, you know, he's got the moxie for it or whatever. He's a little bit older. He played well in New Orleans last year. It makes you think with a guy like that, they're going to bring in another guy in the first two picks. All right, guys, let's talk about what's next. We still have some cap room, and we talked earlier this week. We were gearing up a little bit for a Stephon Gilmore trade. Landon, you still think that's on the horizon? I know New England's making a lot of moves. They may want to keep him. What are we going to do with this cap room? Well, we've been linked to bringing back Jadavion Clowney. Now, he recently wrapped up a visit with the Cleveland Browns, who also wanted to sign him in last offseason. Clowney and Daquan Jones are the best options to me as far as we keep things in-house, just run it back. I would really like that because right now our defensive line is really Jeffrey Simmons, Nico Autry, and that's about it. You add Daquan Jones, who's been a great nose tackle for us, solid, dependable, reliable as a pass rusher at the position. And then Clowney, who, yeah, he didn't have a sack, but he was productive. He made our defense better. Just beef up the front seven. Just go all in on making a bad pass rush good enough and just run it from there. Lane, I disagree with you on the Daquan Jones. As much as I like him and former Penn State players, I don't think we need him. I think we signed Nico Autry as a, as a potential upgrade for Daquan Jones. And, you know, we've got some younger guys on the roster that I think we want to see kind of get some action. What was his name? Tahir Tart. I think he's the guy that we want to get action. We still have Laurel Murchison. Still a lot to see from him. There are definitely some ways to go here. So I don't, I don't necessarily think we need Daquan Jones, but I do want Clowney. About cap space, I think we have to address at least one of two things. We have to get a right tackle, or, we ha- or, or, there's, or we're swinging for a cornerback out there, like a Casey Hayward or a, a veteran corner that could come in right away. Heck, maybe even a tight end. I've seen a lot of rumors yeah. about Delaney Walker playing again and that we might make a run at him. Ah, well, he said he took the year off last year because of COVID concerns and injury, um, and he's 100% ready, and he's ready to get back in the league this year. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, nobody would root against that, but um, you know, we'd have to see. There are rumors about you know Philly making a trade at tight end and we seem like we'd be a good fit there. Um, John, what do you what do you think about a big trade for a tight end? Would you be open for that? I mean, this cap room is going to go. I know last year we kind of kept it for flexibility. Landon has told us there are going to be some shrewd moves and some things we may be uh, keeping that for, you know, just kind of what's coming down the road, and that's smart. But I think Kate, Casey Hayward has been a good player, and, yes, he's on the backside of, of his career, but he played at Vanderbilt, and he seemed like he'd be a fit. With his style of play, he's aggressive, pretty good playing man. But what about a, a trade? I could definitely see a trade for Zach Ertz. Uh, I'd be curious to see if it's a reworked contract because I think he's got, and Lan, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but he still has a pretty big contract deal, right? I thought he like a year and eight million or something like that. Uh, yeah, you might be it's right. manageable, but with everyone's cap room going down and Ertz starting to look washed up. Frankly, it looks a lot bigger than it actually is. Yeah, well, I, thought, I really thought we were going to be in play for Kyle Rudolph. Um, and then the Giants seemed to spend this invisible cap that, like, 
the, their money never stops. So well, the bad the bad teams have money because they right. don't have to re-sign their draft picks because their draft picks aren't that good. And, I mean, they're getting better, but they're still kind of on the front end of that. So we see that happen. Uh, Rudolph would have been a good fit. but I mean, I could definitely see a trade for Ertz. I think J-Rob has proven that he's open. You know, door's always open. Come at us with an offer, uh, especially if it's a position of need. I would love to see a Gilmore trade, but I think that kind of has cooled down a little bit, like you mm-hmm. said, with the Patriots moving every other way. But yeah, I've wanted Gilmore for a couple of years now. If that happens, awesome. Can't wait to see what happens before draft day and then on draft day. And, you know, J-Rob might want to keep it interesting. He might be waiting and make a draft day trade or during the draft. I would kind of love that. I think a lot of folks around the NFL or in our fan base think you'll be kind of muted after the Isaiah Wilson thing, but I think the more that goes on, we heard more this week about his arrest a few months ago in in Georgia. I mean, he has some mental issues or substance issue or both, and I think he was a reach anyways, but I don't think anybody thought that. A lot of team, teams would have won when we saw the Dolphins in a week realize that there's something really going on with him. I don't want to speak to it a lot because I don't know the situation, but I do know that anybody that's having mental health issues I don't take that lightly. I don't know that a lot of that is of their doing, and I just hope and pray that, that he gets his help, and I really don't care that he was a bust anymore because he has issues. You're right. We can see John Robinson. Uh, he obviously has as much security in his job than anybody in this league, I think, and so I think he's going to be bold if he wants to, John, and I think it'd be fun for us to trade up or trade down or do something or make a big trade because uh, he's a guy that doesn't have to look over his shoulder and do something stupid, and his owner isn't going to call him and tell him that he wants, you know, Johnny Manziel or something stupid like has happened to other guys. I think he just gets to work and do his job, and I hope it'd be fun for us if it resulted in a big swing. I would be It'd be bittersweet for me if we traded out of the first entirely, because then, you know, on round one, it's like, oh, well, we don't come home on night one with anybody. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well... If we trade out of round one, we're loaded and hunting for bear for the rest of the draft. Yeah, and so. Lana will get us excited about somebody we never heard of, and I'll be like, I'm, I'm up for it. Because yep. like, oh, well, yeah, uh, so-and-so from Northwest, such-and-such, such-and-such, and he's going to be around, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. Lana <laughs> thinks he's good. Well, and then we can also kind of judge everybody else in the first round, too. Absolutely. Uh, way, way harsher than we would have originally because we were thinking about our pick. So I can't wait. Uh, you know, we haven't figured out draft plans but yet, but I plan on being with you guys to watch it one way or another. Don't really care. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm getting my first shot tomorrow, and you've been vaccinated, Landon has. So this is going to be pretty soon, and all vaccinated Tennessee Titans talk. We're getting our first <laughs> opportunity, so we're uh, – we're doing this. If we yeah. have to walk somewhere, we're we're getting together and we're gonna do it. So, although I don't think we will go to the Titan Stadium, so no, I think we should go we're, to my home because it yeah. was just like uh, pretend it's our own Buffalo Wild Wings because I'm not ready for the stadium thing yet, even if we're all vaccinated. But well, and, and like even more, then, when they cut it off after our pick, it was like if you can throw a better party, then they're doing a bad job, and they do that. They do a really good job of the product on the field the last four or five years. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I love the Titans, but the food, the experience doesn't have to be good because it's the NFL, and it isn't. Yeah, agree. Uh, that's aside from the product on the field, which I've been proud of the last four seasons for sure. Well, that's all we have for now. It's been great to catch back up, and we've covered a lot of ground. We'll be back with you hopefully next week. We'll talk about hopefully the big trade or the next big move the Titans have made, and we'll get closer to the NFL draft. So I know you want to hear what 
Landon and John think about these guys coming up and the best fits for the Titans. Until then, guys, tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.